Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. My dear cardio nerds, this is Amit Goyal. Join us on a new adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a multidisciplinary collaboration between the Cardiators, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with a mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, CardioNerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 3.2 of the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Hirsch Ellens, Answer first by Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Fellow, Dr. Theodora Donison, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Eugene Yang. Dr. Eugene Yang is Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington and the Chair of the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section. Thanks so much, Dan. Theo, once again, I found myself with a collection of four statements, and I would love it if you could help me figure out which one is correct. The first one is that coronary artery calcium scoring can be considered to improve CVD risk classification around treatment decision thresholds. Hey, Hirsch, always happy to help. Option A is actually the correct one. Coronary artery calcium scoring can reclassify cardiovascular disease risk upwards and downwards in addition to conventional risk factors, and it may thus be considered in men and women with calculated risks around decision thresholds. This is a class 2B level B recommendation from the guideline. If coronary artery calcium is detected, its extent should be compared with what would be expected for a patient with the same sex and age. This coronary artery calcium score does not provide direct information on total plaque burden or stenosis severity, and it can be low or even zero in middle-aged patients with soft, non-calcified plaque. Great. Thanks, Tio. So the second statement is... Patients with type 1 or type 2 diabetes are considered very high CV risk, regardless of other comorbidities and risk factors. Option B is false, as not all patients with diabetes are very high risk by default. We have patients who are at moderate risk. These would be the patients with well-controlled diabetes of less than 10 years duration, without evidence of target organ damage, and no additional cardiovascular risk factors. There are patients who are considered at high risk, which are the patients not fulfilling the criteria above, who do not have cardiovascular disease or severe target organ damage. Very high-risk patients are those who are diabetic and already have established cardiovascular disease or have severe target organ damage. These are class 1 level of evidence B recommendations. And of note, Hirsch, you can go over the show notes to review what severe target organ damage is defined by. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tio. And the third statement is CKD does not increase the cardiovascular disease risk in the absence of other risk factors. Option C is again false. CKD carries at least a high cardiovascular disease risk even in the absence of diabetes or ASCVD. 
moderate kidney disease carries a high CVD risk and severe kidney disease carries a very high CVD risk. These are considered class one level of evidence B recommendations. Great. That's that's really good to know. And for our final statement, men and women older than 65 years old are at high cardiovascular risk. This option is false because there's an age difference between men and women with regards to cardiovascular risk. Age is a major cardiovascular disease risk driver, but age cutoffs should be used with flexibility. Women who are younger than 50 years old and men who are younger than 40 years old are usually at low 10-year cardiovascular disease risk. It is still important to be aware of unfavorable, modifiable risk factors that can sharply increase their lifetime cardiovascular disease risk. Women who are older than 75 years old and men who are older than 65 years old are usually at high 10-year cardiovascular disease risk. Only between the ages of 55 to 75 in women and 40 to 65 in men, this 10-year cardiovascular disease risk vary around commonly used thresholds for intervention. Of note, in younger, apparently healthy patients, we also discuss lifetime cardiovascular disease risk estimates since 10-year risk assessments often underestimate the risk. Also, Hirsch, I just wanted you to be aware that in an aging population, treatment decisions should take competing non-cardiovascular disease risk into account as well. Also, in patients with established cardiovascular disease, we can discuss about residual cardiovascular disease defined as risk estimated after initial lifestyle changes and risk factor treatment are implemented. I just wanted to make sure you're aware of the main points of these questions. Basically, estimating cardiovascular disease risk is not only important in apparently healthy patients, but also in patients with diabetes, renal disease, established cardiovascular disease, or older patients as well. This can provide information to allow shared decision-making and to personalize the approach for our patients. Dr. Yang, do you have any thoughts about the American versus the European approaches to risk stratifications with respect to risk scores, score 2 versus PCE, and risk modifiers such as coronary artery calcium scores or others? Thank you, Tao. I think that the updated guidelines for the European side did change the way they estimated cardiovascular risk. So previously, the score risk score that they used only looked at fatal cardiovascular events. The new score two risk stratification tool or risk calculator now incorporates non-fatal heart attacks and non-fatal strokes, which are part of the pool cohort equation. So now we're actually looking at the risk calculations and risk estimates that are more apples to apples instead of apples to oranges. The differences are related to what I alluded to in the previous question, which is that the Europeans classify based on the countries that the individuals are living in. And those countries are first classified into low, intermediate, high, and very high risk based on data coming from those countries, looking at overall cardiovascular morbidity and mortality rates. So that's definitely very different than what we do here in the United States, where everybody is lumped together. However, we look at things from racial differences using our risk calculator. So blacks and whites, we do have a risk calculator to estimate risk. However, for Asians and Hispanics, because they were not included in some of the registries where this data has been generated to, to create a risk calculator, we have some gaps in our ability to accurately estimate risk in those populations. So that being said, I think the score two and the pool quarter equation are very similar. 
there are definitely differences in the thresholds of defining low, intermediate, or high risk, or very high risk like they do in Europe. But that's related to the fact that they also stratify more based on age, which we do not do in the United States. With respect to these risk modifiers, I think a key difference between the U.S. guidelines and the European guidelines is around the use of calcium scores. So as you highlighted earlier, the European guidelines only gives a class 2B level of evidence B recommendation. And so the U.S., I think, feels more strongly that calcium score provides additional benefit for risk stratification based on many studies that have been published showing that adding a coronary calcification can provide better discrimination of cardiovascular risk. And the Europeans have taken a less sanguine approach to this. I think one of the reasons why the Europeans have been more conservative is they think about cost effectiveness and use of resources. So in low middle income countries where the cost of doing a calcium score may be high relative to the income in those countries, it may be more difficult to have that test available. And therefore, because of the equity that they consider in making these decisions and guidelines, that's one of the reasons perhaps why they did not include that with a higher level of recommendation. Other things with respect to risk modifiers, I think the Europeans have a more extensive list of clinical conditions and risk modifiers to use to consider. And some of the unique things about the European guidelines are they do think about things like social stressors, global warming, the impact of the environment, living in close proximity to highways and air pollution. So they do have, I think, a more global holistic approach when they think about risk assessment, which we do not really do here in the United States. Dr. Yang, I really appreciate you going over the differences between the guidelines. And I really liked how you emphasized the importance of including a diverse population in registries and studies overall. I feel like this has been and still is a problem in current practice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think the way moving forward that we're going to be better, at least in the United States, is to learn from what the Europeans have done with respect to using multipliers to assess risk or to modify risk, which we currently don't really do. And more importantly, we really need to get more Asians and Hispanics and Latinx enrolled in some of these trials so that we can then use those individuals to then estimate cardiovascular risk much more effectively. To give you a concrete example, the SPRINT trial, for example, guided our blood pressure lowering threshold for stage one hypertension to 130, and that was driven by the results of that study. However, the number of Asians that participated in that study was less than 1%. So when we look at Asian hypertension guidelines, they do not really believe the results of the SPRINT trial because there were no Asians included, and therefore the guidelines do not recommend shifting that the definition of stage one hypertension to less than 130, like we do here in the United States, because there were no Asians enrolled in that study to really derive any meaningful data. Thanks so much, Teo and Dr. Yang, for that really enlightening discussion about risk factors. You know, I'm wrapping up my internal medicine clerkship as we speak right now, and I've seen a ton of patients with CKD and with diabetes. And, and in the moment when we're on a busy inpatient service, I don't really think about downstream sequelae like CBD risk, but I think it's something I'm going to start keeping in mind more when I'm seeing patients in the inpatient setting. Beep. Beep.